So what I'd like to do tonight, um, at about 8.35, we'll, have, we'll break into small groups and have small group discussions. I'll talk more about that when we get close. But for the next uh, 30 minutes, I want to just check in about the instructions, go back to those four expressions of loving kindness that I sent out in the email for those who weren't here last Monday or last Thursday. And then also talk a little bit more about uh, the cultivation of loving kindness uh, through this deepening understanding of aversion and the abandoning of aversion, the teasing out, the seeing, and the dropping of aversion in the mind as really the path. So it's just another sort of way to cultivate metta. So first, just take some time and uh, just to reflect on the both the formal instructions of forgiveness, reflection, and then the formal metta, loving-kindness instructions. And then that short uh, sit, or the short part of the sit we did at the end where we were just relating metta as a practice of inclusivity. And you know whether you could make that, the mind could make that connection between being inclusive and what you normally recognize as the quality of love or the quality of metta. So any questions about the meditation instructions or comments for the group? Things that come to mind? And of course, you might want to just share some things like this in your small groups too. So, but I didn't give a lot of the instructions tonight. They were handed out in the email, uh, the initial email some basic instructions for loving-kindness practice. And I know most of you have been doing it before, so I didn't want to take, talk too much. So anything come to mind? What did you think about just sort of being inclusive? Did it feel like a loving-kindness practice? Yeah. Casey? Yeah, So one of the things about the formal practice of loving kindness as a, like as a, a um, really a, a curriculum, a pretty profound curriculum, is uh, an exploration where that quality of love isn't easily uh, developed or expressed. 
So you might actually begin, like with your breath, just as you described, Casey, and then, and then just, you know, whatever arises in the space in the field of awareness, you know, you you you're kind of yes, this to that feeling of love, and then then that may be like if you want to see, well, can I be okay with my client, or can I be okay with my partner, or can I be okay with Maple? Then bring them in, you know, and just so because then it will be interesting when when the mind gets tight for whatever reason, like even the reason this is stupid. Like why is it stupid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because wh- why why not love? Like why not bring people to mind to love? So you could turn it on. It's but it's always nice to begin where it's easy. And for some people, like a lot of time, most of the time when I do my loving kindness practice in the morning. Although I'll bring individuals to mind, I almost always start with a very inclusive feel, like all beings, because it's just easier for me to uh, to f- have feelings of love when I when it isn't about a particular person. But I still have a sense. I mean, I still, in a sense, visualize all beings. But obviously, I'm not <laughs> like having billions of faces. But I have a sense, you know, kind of like a. A sense of there are billions of beings, and I do care about them. And working there, and then, and then, then I can bring individuals to mind, and it's easier because I've already my heart, in, in a way, it's already warmed up. It's already in that experience. Because we want to challenge the mind, the different ways the mind justifies being tight or being closed or not feeling it's stupid or you know, however. Because why not have really beautiful, warm feelings for whoever, whatever comes to mind? And here's the and and the other thing is it's very uh, to do it when things aren't charged then also protects us when they become charged because we've actually the mind knows how to see what's beautiful in people because we've actually worked on it when it's been more neutral. Yeah, you remember. I really love that person. <laughs> you know, two days ago, when I assume my loving kindness practice. So, what's going on now? Like, where is that love now? And it really challenges. It's harder to be angry at people when we've touched some like real, honest to God love for them, because it doesn't make sense to kind of remember that love and to be really like running the throttle them or something. Yeah, Rebecca, and then Dan. I noticed a difference when it's starting it. It feels more like thinking of like opinions of the people, you know, how to consider opinions of some opinions. And then when it kind of releases and sinks into a more radiant love that isn't attached to opinion and isn't, I guess, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why, even though the, the formality of the practice really can push some of our buttons, um, because it is artificial. But it's nice because it contains a lot of important information. So, for example, one of the 
structures of the practices to feel the heart, to remember a person or a group of people, and to repeat some phrases. And the phrases are simple acts of generosity. We're sending out a wish. But it's useful. So like one of the useful things about being instructed to feel the heart is we're more likely to notice that transition you talked about. And then we can uh, rely more on that subtle upwelling of the heart or movement of the heart. And then at that time, we, have to, we don't have to be as dependent on the image or the person or the phrases even. And we can really emphasize that feeling, the yeah, feeling. Yeah. Right. Right. But then, but, but remember, like, but it doesn't need to reject that person either. So that's what you want to like. Why would it need to reject the person? But you're right. It can go. Let it go everywhere. But uh, I notice sometimes, like, because it is easy for me to do all beings. It's it's been interesting to me. Like, why not? What's wrong with one person? You know, and to really look at that. Um, because for me, what I discovered is, you know, the reason it's easy for all beings is because I'm not actually bringing to mind the imperfections of human beings then. And so when I have a specific person, especially if it's somebody I know, you know, I can't help, especially the way mine works, my mind works, I can't help but really get, you know, that, uh, that their mind is conditioned with greed, anger, and delusion. And I know that, and I don't like it, you know, just like I don't like it in myself or anywhere. And, but can I have, can I have love? You know, can I abide in that loving feeling, even though they're imperfect? Because it's easy to, when we abstract things, then it's sort of... So this is why we want to, we want to go through the whole, the whole spectrum from a very specific individual who we know well, is a real human being with real kind of human conditioning, to groups and more abstracted notions, all beings, seen and unseen. And for different people here, different categories, different angles on it will be easy or hard. So there are real advantages to the formality. And just to remind people, if you don't know, you know, you really start where it's easy, but you really do move to this all-inclusive radiation of loving kindness. You know, and they're different. You know, in Buddhism especially, it's kind of, you know, just it's so spelled out, like how you move to include all beings. But we don't need to kind of do that in a rigid way. But we want, the important point is, we want to not just go where it's easy, but we want to explore like where it's difficult in order to see, is it really difficult? Can I go beyond whatever the challenge is, whatever the barrier is in, for this person or this group? See, Dan, you had a thought? And then Sharon. Yeah, um, the thing that I've noticed in doing it is that uh, it develops within me its own momentum and it's sort of propelling me into a greater openness. And by that, I mean it's like, for example, I was thinking about an individual who I used to have some really bitter feelings about. And it's not so much that way now, I guess, time itself, but still there's some legacy. So I, I was projecting myself. And the good openness that I felt at that moment is projecting to him and saying, I hope you feel this and experience this and all that. <laughs> the pragmatic part of me says, well, that's not his at all. So. <laughs> but 
as I did that, I am, um, and I really tried to project it on him. It's funny because it just kind of came around, and I felt a, a much greater openness inside me. And I'm not too sure what the dynamics are, other than the fact that over time I've noticed that I, I'm amazed when I meditate sometimes on how I go from a very tight person to a very open person. In fact, this morning I felt that way. I felt really loving after I got done with meditation. And, uh, and so I, I, I sense that that's available for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and just being aware that that's available for everybody, it, it, it's kind of a free thing. You know, it's yeah. a very open thing. So it's kind of that feedback thing. That I think, uh, yeah. And remember, it's not even so much about what we cultivate as much as what we're not doing. So these activities, you know, these different meditation activities, they're, in a sense, they're activities that make it difficult to abide in aversion. And it's often, you know, you could describe the benefit of this practice as the result of non-abiding in aversion is what we're feeling. You know, the aversion is what crunches and tangles the heart and mind. And if we're not, if we're doing something that in a way uh, squeezes out the aversion, the sort of defensiveness or the irritation or the resentment, then we're free of that irritation and resentment. And we feel freer, we feel more open. And it isn't even so much that what you did was so just right on, but it allowed the mind, in a way forced the mind to abandon something that it does all the time, so much so that we don't even recognize that we're doing it. Like we hold our resentments, but because it's so pervasive, the way we hold our resentments and our <coughs> criticisms and our various patterns of aversion, we don't realize we're doing it. So it's not so easy to abandon them because we can't see them where they're just so second nature. But if we cultivate, if we do this sort of formal practice that that basically uh, is in a different direction than aversion, then aversion has to be dropped. They don't fit in the same mind at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So let's see if it is. You know, I mean, we have to be respectful of the way the mind is conditioned. And the thing about the conditioned mind is it has been created. And how has it been created? It's been created through influences. So we can transform the conditioned mind by giving it new information. So if the world really is a dog-eat-dog world, then... You know, then if we really pay attention, that defensiveness, competitiveness, tendency to manipulate, that's just going to get reinforced. But if it's not that way, then something else will get reinforced. So, you know, what we want to do is we don't want to impose a new agenda on the mind. No, you should be loving. We, we want to see actually what works, what is in alignment. Yeah. Sharon, you get the last word. Oh, maybe you do. Uh, well, what I see 
Yeah. Yeah, but be careful about going to difficult people too soon, like with an agenda. It's it's more like you're just feeling a lot of love for who, for whomever you're working with right now, and then because you've heard the instructions to move on, or maybe just in that moment, you're just you know the person arises in your mind. But don't feel like uh, it's like uh, love can is a power. You know, it's a it's an energy or it's a, a movement. And the ego can want to do things with it. And so we just want to be careful that we're not using it as a world, you know, self-improvement project for the world. Like, I'll make the world a better place by radiating love out to everybody. Because we, we really want to start to realize how the, that love, this feeling, this expression of kindness and love and compassion, it's kind of its own thing. So even though we do start in an artificial way by I bring somebody to mind and I'm sending out phrases, we're really moving in the direction where it has its own rhythm. It's its, its own expression, just like wisdom. We can't make ourselves wise in any given moment and we can't actually make ourselves kind in any moment. But we can learn to recognize when there is kindness, subtle, really profound, big, you know, or not at all, or there's a little wisdom or a lot of wisdom in the mind, no wisdom whatsoever. And so part of what we're doing with the practice is we're learning, you know, is there any way, any avenue to recognizing love in this moment? And then if there is, we look at it. And even if there isn't, we just keep knocking on the door patiently. So we're not like trying to make it happen. So like if you're not feeling like you bring the easiest person to mind, but you may not feel any love, but we just keep knocking on the door, you know, because intellectually we know we care about this person, but we don't actually care about them right now. But we know we like this person or we know we care about this person. So we can repeat the phrase, may you be happy. And that's the knocking on the door. You know, we just keep knocking on the door. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be at ease. And then all of a sudden, it might start, you know, and there may be real love in the heart, you know, and then we notice that. Because we want to really see how love and wisdom and basically everything that arises is, arises conditionally, not because Sharon or Mark wants it to arise, because the supporting causes and conditions are there. And when they're not there, it's not there. And when it is there, that they are there, then the love is there. Because otherwise we do that sort of thing. It's like uh, it's a, it's more like a therapeutic mechanism where we want to fix problems in our life or transform relationships. And I think on that level you can actually have some positive effects. So it's, I'm not saying it's like not useful, but it may get in the way of deepening the practice by uh, just seeing it on that level of transforming relationships in our lives. That let that be kind of a secondary effect but not the primary motivation for the practice. It's really a mindfulness of love, whether it's faint or beautifully radiant or non-existent. We're just sort of cultivating a focused attention to the presence or absence of love and just sort of following it and using the sort of mechanism, the instructions to sort of uh, help direct the attention 
just like we have to teach ourselves to direct the attention to the nostrils if we're doing mindfulness of breathing, what do we need to do to direct the attention to the feeling of love and kindness if that's our object of, of meditation? Did you? I forgot your name. It's Jan. Jan. one feel more healing or more like you learned more or recognize something you hadn't recognized before? It's really useful, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So I just want to quickly review the four expressions so you can continue to work with them this coming week. And also, you might want to talk about them in your small groups, what you noticed in your life. So last week, we talked about loving kindness as a protection. And you know, in the tradition, there's a lot of talk about metta as an antidote for uh, uh, hatred and anger and fear. Amy, would you turn the lights on a little brighter, the top two? And the other one, too, maybe just a little bit. Thanks. And uh, and I think I mentioned this in commenting on what some of the other people said, that uh, you know, one of the ways that metta works as a protection is when we bring it in the mind, even if it's just a little sliver, it has the tendency to cause the mind to abandon aversion. And this is this is just interesting. It's like uh, the mind, in any moment, the mind can really only operate with one view. So if we're in this sort of uh, expansive view, like love is sort of expansive, you can think about it. Sometimes I talk about it in terms of the gravitational pull, you know, or the, you know, and so love sort of goes out. But when we're in sort of fear or greed or anger, it's kind of like, you know, it's about me who's angry, or there's this sort of a narrowness of view as opposed to a more open, non-fixed view. And so when we're able to somehow, through some reflection, uh, ignite the feeling of love, it's hard to maintain that inner tightness. And you can just experience, uh, ex- experiment with this. And this is why, it, why there's a real emphasis in the formal practice of when you're uh, not in afflictive states, you're just kind of in your ordinary states of mind, to spend time with an easy person. So basically you have a handful of beings or groups of beings that easily ignite the feeling of love. Like for me, it might be working with all beings. For other people, it might be working with their pet. For other people, it might be just their relationship with their body. Or like Casey said, you know, just his relationship with the breath. 
might evoke a, a, a sort of an authentic feeling of love. But we, it's important, not just one, I think, but it's important to have a handful of places you can direct your attention that you've worked with over years, you know, hopefully over time, that we can say that. Yeah, for years, I have cultivated a very wholesome relationship with this. You know, this person, my breath, this particular reflection, like... Uh, uh, when Wynn was up at Arrow River for three weeks or more um, doing her, uh, your, her annual retreat, she did the uh, one of the traditional reflections, meditations, is on the beautiful qualities of the Buddha. And it's really about like uh, just learning how to see what's beautiful. And, you know, in Asian countries, people who kind of grew up in a Buddhist context, the Buddha basically represents all the beautiful qualities possible in a human being. So it's like, that's the archetype. So you don't need to sort of use the Buddha directly, but just bringing to mind in a systematic way all the beautiful qualities. And see, if we do this over and over and over again, the mind learns how to take this as a refuge. And then when we're in a really dark space and life just seems miserable and not worth living, and because of the momentum of our practice, we've been doing it for five years, every day, for half an hour, we've been reflecting on the beautiful qualities of the Buddha or you know, the beautiful qualities of a wise, loving human being, it's actually very easy for the mind to just drop that negative, no matter how heavy heart it is, it actually becomes easy to drop it because the mind knows how to abide in this other place. It already has a home there. It knows how to go there. It's practice going there over and over again. So for the you know for this part of practice that's really about um, using metta as a protection. And it's one of the four protections. So Ajahn Punadamo gave when the traditional four protections. So loving kindness, mindfulness of death, mindfulness of the body, and mindfulness of the beautiful qualities of the Buddha. And um, so uh, you want to cultivate what your mind likes. You want to cultivate love, you know, that sort of openness of heart, that intimacy, that inclusivity with objects your mind likes and really dig a deep, deep groove there. And uh, then, even when it, then when you need it as a protection, it will be easier. But it won't necessarily be beautiful. Like, you might be in a really negative state and you know you're in a negative state and so you bring up your easy person, let's say. But it's, you know, you're not feeling anything. But just to be going through the motions powerfully undermines the tendency of aversion in the mind. I mean, just imagine what we're doing. Here we are really angry, really upset, full of fear, or you know, whatever sort of negative state of mind we might be in. But we're bringing to mind you know, our grandfather, or our grandmother, or our pet, or somebody. And we're able to have some felt sense of them. 
we're able to repeat the phrase, may you be safe, may you be happy. You see that for a human being to put themselves through that when they're feeling a lot of fear or a lot of anger, it, it really challenges the identity of the anger, the person who's angry, the person who's fearful. Because that's not what a fearful person does or an angry person does. So it really undermines that whole identity, that whole construct. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm afraid. So just experiment with this. Now, the point is, it's not easy to do it because the gravitational pull is toward this very narrow identity. I'm angry or I'm fearful or whatever. And the mind really wants to keep confirming that tight, narrow place because it is appearing the mind as self right now. So if we can just make ourselves do it, the important thing, even though it's really messy or it doesn't feel like we're doing anything, it doesn't mean it's not having a powerful, uh, re, not causing a powerful rewiring of the mind just to make the mind do the work. And even in sort of normal states, like now you're taking a three-week class on loving-kindness, you know, and some of your sits, hopefully you're doing this every day in your sit for some amount of time at least. And then you're going to cycle through times when you just don't want to do it. But that's exactly the time to keep doing it. Because what we're doing is, in order to do the next phrase, in order to remember the person one more time, we have to de-identify with whatever we're drawn to. That's not easy to sort of say, no, I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to believe the doubt in my mind or follow the fear or follow the anger in my mind. I'm going to re-remember this person and bring that next phrase up and do my best to connect to the words, the meaning of the words. It's like lifting weights. You know, we, we don't want to do it. I started running a little during my retreat every morning that haven't in years, almost 30 years, in any kind of regular way. And uh, I was amazed. I, and I was a serious runner when I was young. And uh, I was like, I just really, and I, because I was on retreat, I was pretty mindful when I was running. I just noticed, like, each step, how much I didn't want to take the next step, how much I just wanted to stop and walk, you know? And it's like, you know, just to see over and over again that just because I really don't want to take the next step doesn't mean I shouldn't take the next step. You know, it's like we don't have to believe that voice in the mind until we do, you know, and then we then we stop, you know, for a while. So that's just some thoughts about protection um, and the importance of persevering, you know, on this level of the practice. And then the, the second expression is the love affair that we have as we start to recognize the joy, the lightness, the beauty of metta. And really let that love affair blossom. Don't worry too much about attachment to the, the lightness, to the joy of love. Just because there's something really healing and actually we really not need to let it express itself fully, like to grow. And if we're sort of afraid of it in some way, afraid of the expansiveness of it or the lightness of it or the beauty of it, we have to overcome that. So we have to ex experiment, like how can 
how can I trust this? How can I kind of fan the flames of love? Really, let it expand. Let it get strong. Really see, oh, this is beautiful. You know, the, the nice thing about these wholesome qualities like love is, like, for example, you know, talking about attachment to the feeling of love, taking it personally. If we're really interested in that beautiful feeling of loving, eventually, you know, as it gets stronger and stronger, any kind of sense of ownership just gets in the way of the expression of love. So the nice thing about these wholesome qualities is they tend to expose the attachment as it develops more and more. It's like one of the reasons that the instructions point us to a more inclusive you know, categories instead of just focusing on one person is that, uh, in, you know, in terms of what Rebecca was saying, we need to move from the person to the expansion, the inclusivity itself. So we're using the sort of person and the phrases to connect with the sort of uh, natural capacity for the heart or mind to open, to be inclusive. And then, and then we're just, you know, we're willing to abandon everything except that opening itself. And we really have to abandon everything, including any sort of sense of this is me loving everybody. You know, wait till I tell my friends. <laughs> you know, or even things more subtle like, you know, I'm just going to go home and, you know, beam love to everybody and they'll all be so much better off. And that, it's not like that, that shouldn't happen. Actually, that would be a really nice thing to do. But the thought in that moment is a constriction, right? So it's actually a hindrance to the development of the quality of love right then in that moment. And that's actually how we support going home and beaming love to our loved ones is by beaming love right now, like abandoning whatever's in the way of love right now is what's going to support the expression of love later. If we can't do it now, we're not going to be able to do it later. Or if something's hindering it now, probably something's going to be hindering it later. So let's really set it free now as much as we can in our set. The third was then, so here we're motivated by our love for metta, our love for love. So there's, in a sense, there's a desire to kind of explore it, to develop it. But it's okay. And then later, you know, I, I talked about the expression of metta as dana, or as a natural generosity. So it has enough momentum, and it's kind of doing it, we're starting to see how it's doing its own work. It's like a free, experience it as a free flow. And it really, this third stage of it, or third expression of metta really transforms our relationship to the world because normally, you know, like in the first expression, we're really using metta to protect ourselves, And so our relationship to the world is like to avoid danger, to avoid what's bad. And the second stage, you know, our purpose in the world is to get to what's good, like wholesome states of mind. But in the third stage, we have enough confidence in the, the basic wholesomeness of 
the heart or mind, sort of natural goodness of the heart or mind, that we're just we're kind of trusting it. And so instead of our relationship to the world as like I'm in the world in order to get something, now all of a sudden we begin to experiment with being in the world in order to sort of sort of let goodness be expressed. So we're like happy to show up. And actually different circumstances are just interesting challenges. Like how can goodness express itself in this moment? You know, and then something else happens in our life. And then the question is always the same. Well, how can goodness, how can natural wisdom and love, let's say, express itself now? Okay, how about now? Okay, how about now? And so so our role now, our motivation now, is just to see the natural movement of dana, that sort of free giving and receiving, and how it operates, how wisdom does its own work, how love does its own work. And wisdom and love, I think you can use interchangeably, like just how it's doing its own work. And this is a nice way, because then we start to have moments where we're really feeling that life can be effortless. Whoever we are, whatever we do in the world, that the, the idea, the very strong idea that I have to do my life starts to weaken in moments when we're just like the activity of our life is just the natural movement of love. It's love that gets us to say whatever we're going to say next or do whatever we're going to do next. And then the last stage I talked about is, uh, is really the sort of maturing of this third stage where they're really peace and freedom. Love is really the, has the flavor of peace and freedom. It isn't any big deal at this point because it's so natural. And it's really like the perfecting the insight uh, about love being non-aversion. So it's, it's what's been dropped away. So what's left is natural or ordinary. Now, it may not look that way to other people or maybe it does, but the point is, it isn't something somebody has to do. What needed to be done has been done. Like somebody has done their work of seeing and abandoning aversion or seeing and abandoning self-centered, narrow view of things. And so what's moving is free of that. And it's the most natural thing. It knows what to do. And this is one of the definitions of method. It knows how to fill any container, knows how to respond to any situation. That's one of the characteristics is that kind of nimbleness. So any of these four expressions would be great to bring up in the small groups tonight, or loving kindness as the dropping away of aversion, like seeing aversion, the, the aversion drops out of the mind. And they're just noticing that more natural, like the non-aversion as a really wholesome, beautiful expression of love. Comments about your practice you could share in your small groups. Now, a few of you haven't done the small groups before. So in a moment, we'll break into groups of three. And it's, it's a real beautiful and important practice to develop where we can be in a small group and for a few minutes just share our practice. And if we run out of things to say, just stay there for with the time you have left, reflecting about this topic of loving kindness and these four expressions and the formal practice you've been doing and 
love as the dropping away of aversion. Just stay with that reflection and see if anything else comes to mind. And if it does, then just speak to the group. And we're just offering whatever we share with the group as a free gift. And then if you're, when it's your turn to listen, same thing. We're just uh, really abiding in that natural sensitivity, which is also has the quality of love. When we really are willing to receive the person who's speaking, however they are, whatever they are, whatever they say, that is And you can really use the experience of your body, just the awareness of your body sitting really helps you stay intimate with what the person's saying. You, if you have an exper- experiment with that, you'll see it really works to stay present with your body. You can't be really intimate with your body without being intimate with all things. And it's generally an easier vehicle. If we just over-focus on the person, we tend to space out. But if we just ground into the experience of sitting, then it's easier just to be present where, with who the person is and what they're saying. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.